Good evening, everybody. It's good to see everyone here. Members coming from this morning. We're glad that everyone is able to make it here this evening to help us continue worshiping the Lord today. And I see several visitors in the crowd. We got a pretty good crowd in here tonight. We want to thank you for coming. And if you're so inclined, stay after service and let us get to know you a little bit better. We'd love to welcome you. So we are approaching almost the one-year anniversary of our quarantine, government shutdown due to COVID. For a lot of people like me, the Lord has blessed us and it hasn't changed our day-to-day lives too much. Essential workers, we get to keep working, keep making a paycheck, and we're very thankful for that. But for a lot of people, it has made a serious impact in their lives. Maybe they weren't an essential worker and they were laid off or... It could even just affect your evening activities, not being able to go to places you normally would in the evenings. And it kind of got me thinking about all of this uh, free time that a lot of people may be getting now that they didn't used to have and how we're spending it. So today I'll be talking a little bit about intentional living, being able to spend our time and use it to the fullest and how we can do that. And the biggest thing we can do is to prepare ourselves to live fully. In Peter's letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So one... I'll talk about how we can be intentional with our usage of time when it's just our alone time. Two, I'll talk about having intentional interactions with others. And three, having intentional interactions with God. Now, if you're like me, I'm the kind of guy who likes to, after a hard day of work, go home and just be home. I'm a homebody. I don't really like to get out that much. Much to my beautiful girlfriend, Kylie Chagrin. She has to drag me places time and again. Uh, But I don't really do much in the evenings. I'll turn on the TV or I'll play some video games and, oh, 10 o'clock, time for bed. Let's go rinse, wash, and repeat for the next day. (laughs) That's how my weekdays go. Uh, But there's not a lot of productivity in my evenings. And sure, it's good to relax and get that rest and relaxation that you're going to need for a productive day tomorrow, but it's also important not to take for granted the time that you have in the evenings where you could pursue little projects or you could read the Bible, you could have a Bible study, prayer. So, I guess spending your time productively is kind of a way of life. If you're using your time to the maximum in the evenings, I know for me that kind of sets the tone for how my next day or my next week is going to go. And if you start being intentional about how you're using your time, it will kind of start to bleed over into a more productive lifestyle. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says to the Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And the same book, chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So you can see here that Paul is talking about the concept of just being generally intentional with your time, know what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's the difference between waiting for a call to action and taking the initiative. And one of the ways that we can do this is taking the initiative in our interactions with other people. <clears throat> and a big thing with interacting with other people is that one, you have to be unafraid to have spiritual conversations. I'm a very introverted person. I'm a generally uncomfortable person. I'm very self-conscious about how people see me and how I come across to other people. So my day, if I'm being comfortable, I'll do the regular, hey, how's the wife, how are the kids, and not really talk to anyone about anything terribly meaningful, uh, like my coworkers. Uh, until the end of the day and then I get to talk to the people who I love and I'm closest to and that's a little different. But being a Christian, that's not really what we're called to do. We're called to spread God's word to everybody. And out of that, I feel it's a necessity to be comfortable talking to other people. And not only that, but being able to talk to other people in an educational uh, manner. Uh, there are a lot of misappropriations about the Bible, misinformation being propagated in media or music or whatever. You see a lot of that, the worldly spin on the Bible. And a lot of people think that the Bible says things that it doesn't because they just believe everything that they hear. So you also have to be able to interact with people in a way that you can encourage them and admonish them and teach them and hopefully help them to come to know the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> Practice makes perfect. I have that in here because, like I said, I'm a very nervous person, but after you kind of talk to a couple of people, you may bring something up to someone that you love and talk about it a little more in depth, and then you can be a little bit more solid for the next time someone asks you a question, maybe, about it. On uh, some of the tough issues, like abortion or, you know, homosexuality, we have to be ready to give an account to why we think that is a sin and why we believe that is wrong. And in order for us to do that, we have to know the Bible. We have to know God's Word, and in order to do that, we have to intentionally spend time with, finally, our God. And we can do that in three different ways that I have here. We can do it in so many more ways. But here I have Bible study, whether it be personal or with a group. I have prayer and worship. So if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'll be reading verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And continuing with this thought of knowing the Bible and its importance, let's turn to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This is just after Moses' death, and God is talking to Joshua as he's about to lead the Israelites into the promised land. The Lord says to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And that concept there is just as prevalent today as it was in the Old Testament times. Without the instructions written in this book here, without God's word, we have nothing to go off of. This is what we need to be studying, and this is what we need to know by heart. Moving on to prayer, in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 8, I'm sorry for all the hopping around. We're all over the place. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And this goes back into how we're intentionally using our time to focus on God throughout the day. We don't have to necessarily set us, well, we do need to set aside the time for Bible study and prayer, but we can also be praying as we're going throughout our daily activities in our mind, thinking about the word, keeping our mind focused on God and what he wants us to do. <clears throat> Finally, we have worship. And we need to worship God how he wants to be worshiped. That's an essential part of being a Christian. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had this coworker that I was riding with. I asked him if he was a Christian. I can't remember how it came up. But he said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I asked him, which church do you go to? And he says, well, my faith is between me and my God. It's personal, and I don't need to go to church to satisfy that. And what I should have told him is that that's wrong. He's either worshiping the wrong God, or he's definitely not worshiping our God how he wants to be worshiped. Uh, but what I said at the time uh, was just, oh, yeah, well, okay, just kind of deflected. And uh, it's really important for us to know the word. So that all kind of synergizes with each other. You have to know the word to know how to worship. You have to keep these thoughts on your mind constantly so that you can fulfill that demand from God. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, God is talking... Jesus is talking about the goats and the sheep and how they will be separated. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So how do we make that separation in our lives? How do we make sure that we are amongst the sheep and not the goats? How do we live intentionally? Well, the first step is you have to try. You have to make that commitment to yourself and you have to make that commitment to God that you are going to continually grow every day. And everyone who's heard me speak before will know that I'm a big fan of the Excel Still More podcast. That is exactly what he's talking about. We need to be focusing on God and growing in our faith every day. We need to prepare ourselves, like Peter says. And we need to put our life into an active mode. We need to ask ourselves questions. We need to ask ourselves hard questions about why we believe what we believe. We need to study and put the time in so that we do have an account for our faith. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 22. Verses 14 through 22, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So I'll end this evening uh, with a question for everyone. Are you going to continue to watch your life slide by if that's where you're at? Are you going to continue to let it slip through your fingers until you don't have any time left? Or are you going to make the most of your time? Are you going to decide that you want to live how God wants you to live and live life to the fullest? Good evening. It's been said already, but I'd like to welcome you all again. It's great to see you all here. And it's always encouraging to see such a good number on uh, 
Sunday evenings and fifth Sunday evenings. And it's encouraging to see all these guys, both young and older, uh, serving. Uh, great job, Liam, and, and everyone else as well. So tonight I'd like to, like for us to all turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be taking our lesson from the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, I'll read verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I want to focus on verse 9 there that says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. <clears throat> the Beatitudes as a whole go against much of how the world thinks, both today and when Jesus first uttered these words. If you were to stop some random person on the sidewalk, and assuming that they were a wor worldly person, um, and you, if you ask them, Who's, who is blessed in this world? Who is it that has received blessings? Uh, they would probably say something along the lines of those who are powerful, those who hold political uh, influence, or those who are wealthy or rich. Those, those are the people who God has truly blessed. Uh, but God completely goes against this, that, that vein of thinking, and says, blessed are the peacemakers. <clears throat> Jesus also epitomizes the peacemaker. He is the perfect example of someone who is a peacemaker. Um, growing up, I heard this section of Scripture a lot. I read through this section of Scripture, read through the Beatitudes quite a bit. We've heard multiple lessons on it. Um, but at least for me, growing up, I think that I misinterpreted what it means exactly to be a peacemaker. And so tonight, I want to kind of look at that and see what a peacemaker is, what a peacemaker really means, and kind of compare that to uh, a peacekeeper, what a, what a peacekeeper is and what a peacemaker is, and why it is that we want to be peacemakers. So the world may not agree that peacemakers are blessed, but Jesus certainly says that they are, and he gives us the example uh, that they are. And Jesus came to bring peace to this world. To put it simply, um, comparing peacekeepers and peacemakers, a peacekeeper is someone who just wants to keep the peace. They're going to do anything possible, anything in their power to keep peace with those around them. Um, and a peacekeeper is the opposite of that. Uh, a peacekeeper fixes the problem, whatever this, this problem may be, uh, or whatever conflict they have in their relationships. A peacemaker is going to fix this problem, while a peacekeeper kind of skims over these problems and ignores it. And they don't, they don't like to stand up for their faith. They don't like to do the hard things that we're called to do. <clears throat> Scripture makes it quite clear that Jesus was not a peacekeeper. He never feared telling people the truth about the gospel. Let's turn to John chapter 8. 
John chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verses 31 through 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from, father, from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. I know that was a longer reading there, but it really captures how Jesus handled these hard situations. Um, and he doesn't mince words. It's quite obvious here. Um, but he doesn't shy away from the truth. And that's because he's, he's speaking with the authority of God. He, he has the truth here. <clears throat> he tells the people here that anyone who sins is a slave to sin and that it is only through the Son that they can be freed from that bondage. It is only through Jesus that they can be freed from that bondage. <clears throat> he even goes so far as to call them sons of Satan, that, that the devil is their father. And if you'll remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, the peacemakers are called the children of God. So there's a, a stark contrast there uh, of who, who we will be children of, or who we can be. <clears throat> so we have the ultimate example of a peacemaker in Jesus. He came to this world to, to make peace between God and man, and between man and other man. Man is at odds with God because of sin. We, we all have a problem, and that's the problem of sin. The wages of sin are death, and we all fall short of the glory of God and sin. Everyone that's ever lived has had this problem, and there's only one person who can fix that problem, and it's Jesus. And Jesus is the only one that can bring us ultimate peace. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that we did to deserve this free gift, but Jesus gave it out of his own love and his own care for us. So he's the ultimate peacemaker because he, he made peace between man and God, and he's the only one that's ever lived that could ever do that. And it is only through him that we can have peace with God. Secondly, Jesus came to, to bring peace between mankind. 
If you would, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I'll read verses 18 through 21. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So should we go out into the world and, and just look to pick fights with people who don't believe the gospel and who don't believe in God? I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. I think we're to, to treat people uh, with respect and stand up for what we believe in um, and to season our words, to season the, the way that we bring the gospel to people with love and grace. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to, eat, to answer each and every person. So those of you who cook know that the seasoning can completely change a meal, or the lack of seasoning can completely change a meal. It can make a, if you don't put seasoning in it, it can make it completely bland, and if you do, it can make a meal you know, better than it would be by itself. I think that's how we need to be. That's how we need to approach others and uh, approach our disagreements with other people. We need to season our words with grace and with love. So there are many important differences between peacekeepers and peacemakers. Peacekeepers, they, they're willing to bend, they're willing to change. Um, they're not willing to stand up for the truth or to stand up for their faith. Um, you know, they avoid conflict at all costs, even when it's something that's very important. And they simply do whatever is necessary to keep the peace, even if that means not sharing God's truth, sharing God's love, or sharing God's grace. Um, peacemakers, on the other hand, they make true peace, and they, they bring other people to know the true peace that we have in Christ. And they're called children of God. So let's all strive to be peacemakers, to, to season our words with, with grace and love. Um, and at the same time, be willing to stand up for our faith and defend Christ and defend why we do the things that we do. Uh, and everyone needs to know that only the, the true peace that we enjoy, it only comes through Jesus Christ uh, because of what he did for us and because he, he lived a perfect life and then he died upon the cross and rose three days later and defeated Satan. If you haven't put Christ on in baptism, then you don't quite know what that true peace is. Um, if you feel moved to, to be baptized tonight, to confess Jesus as your Savior and, and come forward and, and put Christ on in baptism, then why wait? We can do that tonight. Or if you need to confess or need the prayers of the church, uh, please come forward while we stand and as we sing.